Chelsea Fairless. And today we are going to talk about an episode of Sex in the City because the day we usually record is my birthday and we will be celebrating together. And you're taking some time off, some work-life balance for you. <laughs> so instead I'm making you record on an evening. <laughs> Whatever, I'm into it. We can have drinks now. It's not really socially acceptable to do that when we usually record. At 10 a.m.? Yeah. I don't think like we're 10 a.m. on a Wednesday or Thursday is ever. Okay. A, yeah, is ever a good time to drink. Tell Dorothy Parker that. Oh. Did you know that Candace Bushnell lives in a building that Dorothy Parker once lived in? Not the same apartment, but I find that to be fascinating. Well, there you go. We are sipping on 818 and LaCroix cocktails. 818, who will never send us a free bottle same with LaCroix. Yeah. Anyway, before we get into this episode, plus one is the loneliest number, we have a few Sex in the City related calls. Shall we get into them? And by a few, we mean two. <laughs> Hi, Lauren and Chelsea. This is Emma calling in from New York. Um, I had to let you guys know that I just saw Plaza Suite starring SJP and Matthew Broderick, and it was amazing. Sarah Jessica Parker was fabulous as always. It was great to see her on stage with her real-life leading man. Um, I have to note that in one of the three plays, because it's three plays um, in one, in one of them, it kind of centered around SJP talking about how fat she was, which was kind of bizarre and uh as we all know extremely unrealistic but they had her in this like loose baggy sack um so that was kind of a highlight for me i thought that was hilarious love the podcast i love the idea of sjp playing a fat person <laughs> but it seems like it's a hint of a fat person She's not actually fat. They didn't do the whole, you know, Monica Geller as a teenager fat suit makeover. They didn't do the full shallow howl for <laughs> Plaza Suite. It, it does feel very, very wrong, but maybe it's so wrong that it's right. Well, my parents are going to go see in a couple weeks. We'll get the full report. How fat is SJP? I'm going to assume not fat at all. She's will always you can't get rid of those. OK, they put like what a little padding around her stomach. You can't get rid of those cheekbones. No, that razor sharp jawline isn't fooling anyone. If anything, she looks like one of those women that has like a tumor in their stomach that they don't get checked for 15 years. <laughs> OK, that's fucked up. So everyone go see Plaza Suite. We we can't afford to. So you guys go. <laughs> We did get another call, and the caller did not want us to play the call, but I think the caller raised an interesting point, which was that Taylor Swift's song, Illicit Affairs, off of her seminal album, Folklore, is probably inspired by Sex in the City. Go on. I had this same thought the first time I heard it, but I've never heard anyone else talk about this, so I just kept it to myself so as not to be that crazy Taylor Swift sex in the city truther bitch, which I clearly am. I don't even know I'm trying, but there has to be a subreddit dedicated to this. I don't know. I've always felt that. Okay. So what is the link to sex in the city? 
Okay, so this is why I think it's about Sex in the City. Because Folklore is a different Taylor Swift record in that she started writing songs from the perspectives of fictional characters as opposed to just from her own perspective, right? Right. So I think this song is written from Carrie's perspective because there's a line, it's about an affair, it's about an illicit affair, hence the title, and there's a line where she says, don't call me kid, don't call me baby, which is just classic Mr. Big, right? Sure. And there's another lyric where she says, what started in beautiful rooms ends with meetings in parking lots, which does remind me of how their affair went, right? They started in beautiful hotel rooms. They ended up in shitty, terrible hotel rooms. Right, but not parking garages. Not parking lots. There's no parking lots in Manhattan. Does she reference a cabin in Suffren at any point? There's no cabin in Suffren. I don't know. I just get the vibe. I really do. Did anyone else feel this when they first heard this song? Or is it just me and this caller? I need to know. There has to be more. I feel like Taylor was doing a very Kate Bush type thing. Like, because Kate Bush wrote a lot of songs from the perspectives of like film and literary heroines and shit. And I feel like Taylor was doing that, but just with that episode of Sex in the City. Do you think there was a track on folklore that began, ah... Dun, 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 dun. And then she cut it. She was like, that's too obvious. Was that, <laughs> was that supposed to be the theme song? Yeah, that was supposed to be the HBO <laughs> noise. And then the introduction of the theme song. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> anyway, the Taylor Swift truther portion of this podcast is over. Let's get into the app. Plus one is the loneliest number. I thought when I started to rewatch this that this was going to be a low Manolo episode, but... Oh my God, this might be the best episode of season five. I did not remember. I think it is. In case you don't recognize it by its title, it is the episode where Carrie has her book party. She rocks sassy corsages and a sassy short bob. And this is a real tipping point of her pregnancy because it's like right there. Yeah, she's really pregnant. Or as Australians say, heavily pregnant. (laughs) She fell pregnant, which is our other Another thing that Australians say, which is so insane because it takes all of the agency out of getting pregnant. It's like I tripped, fell on a dick, and then <laughs> fell pregnant. Although I'm realizing her outfits do speak to kind of Rihanna's pregnancy. How? Just those like short dresses. Well, they have to dress Sarah Jessica Parker, who is pregnant, as if she's Carrie, a woman who's not pregnant. It's the opposite, though, because Carrie is dressing to conceal her stomach and Rihanna is all about showing the stomach. I know, but they're they're both down to wear a very short dress. It's true. Meant for not a pregnant woman. (laughs) So... This episode starts with Samantha showing Carrie the location, basically. And Anthony, who is a party planner, I guess his job has shifted from season three where he's a wedding dress stylist to now... Well, they say that he styled this event later in the episode, whatever (laughs) that means. I don't know if he was just like the food stylist and styled all those rows of Cosmos at the bar, which did look stunning. I was kind of sad that when we had a book party, it didn't look like that. Well, also, because we've had a book party and know the cost of it. I mean, again, this is a 
pre-financial crisis literary world so maybe it's different it was different then but like carrie is aware that the party cost comes out of like her royalty payment right this isn't like a free party well, it, it her publisher's paying for it. We didn't pay for our parties. Right. And we that, just got the standard to pay for them somehow. That came out of people buying the book. We don't get royalties because we had all those book parties, Chell. Oh, whatever. That was years ago. <laughs> yeah, and and Samantha is Carrie's publicist, right? She's publicizing this event in this book. But it also seems like she found the venue. Like, I'm very confused about who's Who's actually producing this this. party. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of my friend Danielle years ago was an assistant for a manager. And this manager had a model slash actress client. And managers manage your career. But it seemed for this model actress that somehow the manager was her assistant, her stylist, and also her publicist at the same time. So this seems quite similar. Yeah, I'm confused. So we then see Miranda in her office looking at a photo of little Brady who, oof, that is a gremlin-y looking child. (laughs) Behind the old school Miranda Hobbs business card. Right. Uh, And then she gets a call from some guy that she fucked once. It's the guy that in the season before they're walking down the streets and when Miranda has the I love plastic bags or whatever the the tote bag is. And I'm not a plastic bag. uh, There we go. That one. And she (laughs) and she's questioning Carrie if she should fuck this guy. And she's like, what if his dick is so big that it dents the baby? And Carrie goes, where do you think dimples come from? That's oh. the guy she's fucking. Okay. So why, what else do I know him from? He looks like someone that was a DA on Law & Order Special Victims Yeah, Unit. he's giving me that vibe. Uh, he but it- definitely auditioned for the role of Elliot Stabler originally. <laughs> <laughs> so he asks her out on a date and she decides to go. She does not say that she has a newborn baby. I mean, if you only fuck someone once a year, are you obligated to disclose that you had a kid? No, I don't think so. I don't think at that point, but I think it's fucked up that she procrastinated. Whatever, we're getting... We'll get into the logistics of them hooking up later in the episode. Right. Charlotte is with a very creepy guy, Justin Anderson III. Yeah, he looks like he comes from a long line of... Ivy League educated date rapists. <laughs> and or a hockey player? He's just, he's not a vibe. If I was Charlotte's neighbor, I would be horrified too if I saw them kissing in the hallway. Anyway, I guess this is Charlotte getting back on the horse, but it's not the right horse. No. It's a horse that unironically reads the preppy handbook. <laughs> that This guy is like obviously a senator or something now. He's a Republican senator from New York or something. There's something wrong with him. And now we are introduced to Carrie's publisher? Editor. Carrie's editor, Amy Sedaris. Well, we were introduced to her before. Oh, we're, oh, that's right, with Molly Shannon. Yeah. There was Where the did whole... Molly Shannon go? <laughs> I don't know. But she, we're in Amy's office, and I love that she's wearing the flower brooch. I love that in Patricia Field's world, this is just like a normal way to dress. Of course. She alludes to the fact that all of Condé Nast is coming, although not one person, which we'll learn later in the episode. And then some guy named Jack Berger walks in. 
I have to admit, I was quite charmed by Berger in this episode. He does seem like a great guy on the outset. Like when he comes in and Amy Sedaris is like, did you finish your second book? And he was like, no, I finished my suicide note. Like that's my kind of humor. Well, they did this with Berger and then they did this with Petrovsky, which is they set up a really good guy, but because they knew that she was going to end up with Big, they had to torpedo it super quickly. Right. And there is something about meeting someone where it feels like you're in the middle of the conversation. But does Carrie need someone who's clever? In theory, this seems like it should be her person. She, what do you mean? Why wouldn't she need someone that's clever? Because I don't really find Big as like a clever guy. Yeah, but you're attracted to different people for different reasons. I totally see this on the outset. This seems like a couple that makes total sense. And I think as someone that watched the show, it was satisfying to see Carrie with someone that was also a little neurotic, not full Woody Allen, but, you know. Of a type. Yeah, of a type. Well, I think the intention was after Big, after Aiden, all of her boyfriends have kind of been reactions to previous boyfriends. And I think there definitely was an intention to give her her equal. Right. A non-Justin Thoreau writer. (laughs) A rarity on this show. (laughs) I'm sure they tried to get Justin Thoreau back. They're like, he's shooting Charlie's Angels full throttle. We can't get him. (laughs) So Berger's first book was a quote-unquote hilarious comic novel, which I'm sure at this point would be adapted into a Netflix series. Yeah. His book apparently speaks to straight men the way that Carrie's book speaks to straight women. And as he notes... Kind of predicting the future of podcasts, straight men don't buy books. (laughs) (sighs) So they eat McDonald's on a park bench. Is this the most egregious McDonald's placement? We've been over the McDonald's product placement throughout the years, but this is pretty wild. It is, but I mean, is it placement? They claim that it wasn't. They've claimed that this was not product placement. They just kept writing McDonald's into the show. I think just because McDonald's is the first thing that someone that doesn't eat McDonald's would think of. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you're not going to White Castle or something more niche. Right. Well, okay. So the first McDonald's product placement is in season two when she wears the beret. Right. Then we have Suffren, yeah, when McDonald's, the apple pies when her and and Samantha come back. But that's a that's a nod to they were trying to make an apple pie. And then this is, I guess, just an excuse for them to be in the park. But I think it's even weirder that she just met someone and then they went to a McDonald's and he watched her order a strawberry milkshake and fries. Oh, we're forgetting the ultimate McDonald's, Lincoln Center McDonald's. Yeah, but that's not until the following season. Still, I mean, it's a lot of McDonald's. This I find the most random because they could have just walked to a park and sat down. I think that there's never a wrong time to eat McDonald's. McDonald's is delicious. I'm sorry. It's a fact. I know. I had it for lunch. I think because I watched this episode. (laughs) What did you get? Um, I'm a crispy chicken sandwich girl. Oh, interesting. Uh, And I had a chocolate shake, which I instantly regretted. I do think watching (laughs) like I instantly regretted it after I shit my pants (laughs) on the spot. I'm now realizing I think the McDonald's product placement is just so she has something to cover her stomach when they walk in this scene. Right. 
I'm sorry, but Berger is being way too flirty for being in a relationship. Like, I get that this is to set up, you know, Carrie's like, what was this flirtation? But like, if this was happening in real life, this isn't okay. Especially when he says, so how long do I have you for? Yeah. That's fucked up. That's direct flirting. That's not indirect flirting. Although I do believe a guy in a relationship would just straight straight up ask if a woman wanted to come with him to the dry cleaner. Yeah, there's something wrong with him. As we'll learn in future episodes. So he does point out to Carrie a card on the street. Was this the first time you learned of this concept? Because you were living in New York at this time, but I was still, I was still in, living in LA. No, I was still, I wasn't, I didn't move to New York until after Sex in the City was off the air. Okay. I moved to New York on the day of the 2003 blackout. All right. Well, Sex and the City ended in 2004. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So this was still before that. Yes. Once you see playing cards on the street, you can't unsee them. I see them everywhere I go. I see them in LA. Do you not notice? No. Really? I feel like this is like seeing the Matrix and not seeing the Matrix. I think this really endeared me to Burger initially because I like when people can see like beauty or humor in mundane things like garbage on the street. But it also is very like a, it's a hipstery thing to do. Yeah. Okay. Wes Bentley and American Beauty. <laughs> do you just take your when you moved to New York? Did you just take your camera camcorder and film all the playing cards you saw on the street? Uh, I did it. And I never contemplated picking one up. What if this is Wes Bentley's character from American Beauty? He did want to move to New York. He's like, Carrie, let me show you my dad's Nazi place. <laughs> Look, we don't know what this hilarious comic novel is about. It could be his repressed gay dad <laughs> who shot his neighbor to death. Oh, I still forgot that it was him. <laughs> I just, I was like, was it Annette Benning? I couldn't. You it always surprises me every time I watch American Beauty because I'm like, actually, who did it? You wanted to be Annette Benning. So we learn that Berger has a girlfriend because she's like, hey, do you want to be a plus one to my book event? Which, by the way, that is too much for a first date. Even if he wasn't in a relationship, just give him like, I'm going to put you on the list of my book party. Like, I'd love to see you there. Right, of course. At a party that is for you, you don't really actually need a plus one in the same way because all of your friends are there. All of your friends are there and having gone through the experience, it is what I imagine a wedding is like where you don't have time to entertain other people. You're doing stuff. You're saying hello to people all night. You're signing books. You're giving quotes. Yeah, you can barely talk to your friends that are there. You know, but I get it. This is all to set up. He's like, oh, I wish I could. But my girlfriend's parents are in town and they're staying with us, which we learned the following season that Berger lives in a glorified studio, which where are these girlfriend parents staying exactly underneath the playing card board? OK, you're going way too deep into this. Yes, I am. Uh... That's what the people enjoy from me. <laughs> <sighs> What would be more realistic and more embarrassing is if she was like, oh, I'll put you on the list. He's like, great. Can I have a plus one for my girlfriend? Oh, yeah, that would be good. You're welcome. Yeah, that's weird that they didn't do that. It's built into it. Because you can still, I get the theme is like plus ones, not having a plus one, mathematical equations with plus ones. (laughs) 
But well, I get not having a relationship, but it's pretty easy to find a plus one. Maybe you have to go to your like third tier friends, but like you can find a plus one. What a great way to bring Amelita back into the show. <laughs> so Carrie is, of course, commiserating about this with the girls at the diner wearing the first corsage of this episode. Which she did not feel the Zaza Zoo, but she did feel a spark. So is that before Zaza Zooing or after Zaza Zooing? Or is that like in tandem with the Zaza Zoo? Wait, the Zaza Zoo is later in this season, right? I think it's in the next season. Oh, whatever. She sparked with him. I love how Samantha voices her opinion about people that disclose that they're in relationships too quickly. Yeah. She's like, calm down. I just asked if this seat was taken. Classic line. That's very true. I find that people either disclose that they're in a relationship too quickly in kind of a shitty way where it is like I was just asking if the seat was taken or not soon enough. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's a delicate balance. But I think people typically usually are too like us, we, my girlfriend, like that's usually straight yeah. out of the game. To be fair, if B- Burger existed today, he would be ethically non-monogamous. <laughs> like, do you know how carefully I have to read dating profiles now? Because guys love to sandwich that line in between two sentences. Like, uh-huh. you know love kayaking and coffee with a great gal looking for a third love to have fun you know you're like wait hold on hold on what i love that you have to deal with this shit now because queer people have been dealing with this shit for like 10,000 years and now it's like it's spreading whoever told straights about polyamory i'd like to have a conversation <laughs> no shade to our poly listeners no but you know what i'm talking about these are not really poly people this is just like ooh good I get to have two. How do you know they're not really Polly? All right, I'll, sw- I'll swipe left next time. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask. You seem a little sex negative, Lauren. <laughs> you seem a little judgmental of polyamorous people. I'm a, I'm a little Carrie today in my, in <laughs> yeah, my the sexual Yeah, the Carrie binary. jumped out. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by Function and Beauty, the world's first fully customizable hair care that creates individually filled shampoos, conditioners, styling, and treatment formulas for your hair. They offer over 54 trillion possible formulations, so there has to be one for all of us, right? I'll be honest, I've never known what to do with my hair and was frankly relieved to take their hair quiz. My hair goals were to soothe my scalp, hydrate, nourish my roots, and rejuvenate. And they're going to send me a formula that'll do just that. Love it. You get to select your fragrance. I went with rose, but was very tempted by the lavender. They even let you select your fragrance strength. Like, who does that? But I think my favorite part is that they let you select the color of your shampoo and conditioner. I went with seafoam green to go with my bathroom. So, say goodbye to generic hair care for good today. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash outfit to take your hair goals quiz and you'll save 25% off on your first order. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash outfit to let them know you heard about it from our show and get 25% off your first order. That's functionofbeauty.com slash outfit to take your hair quiz and save 25% on your first order. So Samantha has an oddly prophetic line, which is... Do you want to come get some mani-pedi Botox? 
And Miranda goes, you say that like that's just a, a thing that everyone does. And she goes, everyone will. That was 2002. Guess what? Everyone does. Yeah. And LA is so extra that there's all of these urgent cares that also have Botox. My eye doctor does Botox as well. And when you sign in, there's a little placard that says, got Botox? Question <laughs> mark. Not a place. It's really cute. Also, did you notice that my lips have settled? You look great. Oh, thanks. But as Samantha soon learns, Botox can be a slippery slope. <laughs> so have you ever had a chemical peel? No. I have. It's well known you shouldn't do this within like a week and a half of an event. And really, fuck her dermatologist because you should have let her know know that i feel like i've seen you and your face has looked kind of like beef carpaccio but it's been more like a micro needling vibe micro needling because it's puncturing holes you do as i think it's also called a vampire facial when you like recirculate blood anyway yeah that you do look uh insane you look like red skull that's a that's a nerd reference not for you that's for the lukes in the audience <laughs> specifically luke <laughs> The crazier thing about chemical peels is when the aforementioned peeling starts and you're like in a Cronenberg film. And for us, right, you just want to peel your skin off, but you can't because I will damage your skin. So you have to take you have to take a little scissor and just cut <laughs> off the pieces of skin. She's like one of those like one of those iguanas that just kind of Yeah. Their face just flakes off. That's fucked. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like I should have more interest in chemical peels and needling and things of that nature, but I just haven't got there yet, you know? You will. I guess I just need to get older and more haggard, and then maybe I'll feel... No, that's why you gotta start now. <laughs> so you never age. Great. No, but shame on her, her dermatologist, and it's long been rumored, and it's kind of a, a rumor I choose to believe is true, which is this was Sex and the City's way of referencing when Kim Cattrall went to the Golden Globes a year before, two years before, and she either got a chemical peel and tried to cover it with makeup or got a really bad spray tan. Right. I think it was just a tan. I think it was a bad spray tan because anyone who knows anything wouldn't get a chemical peel done days before an event. There's still time to do that for season two of And Just Like That. Charlotte gets a spray tan, but it's so dark that it's culturally insensitive. Yeah. And then she gets canceled or something. By her own daughters. Yeah. So when Carrie is walking home from the diner scene, she says, the prophetic, in New York, you're either looking for a job, boyfriend, or an apartment. Although, from what I see on TikTok, it seems like these days, everyone's looking for everything at once. I remember watching this episode right after I graduated from college, and I did not have a job, yeah. a relationship, or an apartment, and I felt very victimized by this. <laughs> Yeah, Carrie, stop fucking <laughs> stop fucking complaining. But it's so true, and it's still true of New York, or maybe of anywhere, but I feel like in New York, being in a really volatile, unsustainable living situation is more normal. So finding an apartment is like a bigger thing that happens more, that people have to deal with more frequently. Yes, and I'm not sure if it's an I couldn't help but wonder or a later that evening I got to thinking, but the I couldn't help but wonder, for lack of a better phrase, is... To, off of the New York thing, she's like, why do the things that we don't have 
always overshadowed things that we do. I forget what it was. Yeah, and then she says, why does one minus a plus one feel like it adds up to zero? And I'm like, because it does? It literally (laughs) equals zero. Again, this is, as I as we rewatch Sex and the City, there's a lot of these I couldn't help but wonders, and I'm like, we could have done another pass on this. <sighs> yeah. So then Carrie is out to lunch by herself, seemingly unbothered, reading a Hello magazine, which, would that be the tabloid you would think Carrie would read? Did the American version of Hello exist then, and does it still exist today? I'm sure... But you got to go to like one of those newsstands that has everything. I don't know. I haven't seen an American hello in years. Just Ola? <laughs> yeah, just Ola. Exactly. And I'll see British hello, you know, like at an airport or something. But Oh, she's definitely reading the British hello. Seems weird. I think they just didn't want it to seem aged. If she was reading an issue of Vogue or People, you'd be able to date it back to when it was. And, you know, we don't have Smith Jared yet, so we can't make fake tabloid covers with using him. Yeah, why couldn't she have been reading Tattletale, Miranda's favorite again, tabloid? Again, a lot, a lot of things that weren't invented in, <laughs> until season six. But thankfully, Enid is there, which I completely forgot that she shows up in season five. Yeah, she shows up in that iconic Prada skirt with the little circular mirrors. Beautiful. Major. Right, and then we're yet again hitting the agenda of can women have it all? Yes, again, we've discussed this before, but Helen Gurley Brown looming very large in the world of Sex in the City. Well, she's so relieved to hear that Enid has a man. She's like, oh, good, because I was starting to think that women couldn't have it all. And she's like, well, I have it all on the east side. He has someone else on the west side. And you're like, wait, what? Suddenly I am transported into a Woody Allen film from the 80s. Yeah. See, there's ethical non-monogamy right there in the early 2000s. Somehow I'm okay with that. <laughs> so Enid's advice to Carrie is stop expecting it to be what you thought it would it would look like. That's true of the fall lines and that's true of relationships. I think it's true of life in general. Have no expectations? No, it's not to have no expectations. You have to have goals and a vision of what you want your life to be like so you can try and get there but at the same time you do have to let go drop your expectations go with the flow that sort of thing so have expectations and then drop them I think just meet life where it meets you (laughs) you know right but sometimes life meets you in a shitty place (laughs) just gonna put that out there that's true but a lot of strife is caused by the resistance between what you think something should be and what it actually is. It's not the actual situation. Right. Anyway, this advice gets Enid invited to the party, to which I was like, I'm sorry, Enid wasn't invited already? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what the fuck? She's like, that earned my mentor, this iconic American Vogue editor. It's also like Amy Sedaris says all of Condé Nast is invited. (laughs) They're like, yeah, we we, we uh, invited all the assistants, but the people at the top of the masthead, absolutely not. Well, we know from the first film that Enid invites Carrie to be in an editorial once she's getting married. You don't think Carrie got an editorial when her book came out? I think she got a front of book mention. Yeah. Do you think that Enid still works at Vogue? 
No, she lives upstate with Wallace Shawn or something. Yeah, cute. Wallace Shawn, it was definitely canceled out of Bon Appetit for some cultural <laughs> appropriation issues. I think he was canceled for like pinching asses and that sort of vibe. Oh, yeah. They seem He's like old school sexual harassment. Oh, no, they seem like besties with Charlie Rose. He did some Charlie Rose shit where like an assistant came over with the, the magazine book and he had secretary on and he was like, what do you think of this? <laughs> Guys, that's what happened with Charlie Rose, and I still think about it a few times a year. Wait, he was literally watching Secretary? Yeah, and some female assistant came over, and he was like, what do you think? What a freak. I mean... I had a really sus professor at Parsons that was always showing us... Yes! (laughs) Is he alive? I don't know, but he was my teacher, too, and he was weird as shit. (laughs) Should we bleep out his name? Yeah, or? I gotta bleep out no, the name. No, fuck it. He, no, whatever. Who cares? That little pervert, that little Ro- Roland Bars obsessed pervert <laughs> would love his name mentioned. Well, the fact that he showed my class the rape scene from 5 by 2 completely out of context. Yeah. Which is just so fucked up. Among other transgressions. And also the fact that, you know, when you're dehydrated, your mouth gets that, like, white film on the side of it? (laughs) He would, like, from moment one, that would develop in his mouth constantly for an hour-long lecture. It was extremely disturbing. (laughs) Also, because it was, like, a semiotics class, it's like, you'd look at art and be like, what do you think of this? What does this represent? And everything was like, oh, that's a dick. That's cum. Because every work of art that he would show us was about fucking. (sighs) Anyway... That was a digression, but he did have a creepy Wallace Shawn type quality about him, I will say. He did. He did. If I'm casting someone to play him. (laughs) William H. Macy? You know what? I feel like Ricky Jay might have killed it. Who's Ricky Jay? Oh my God. You, we just watched Magnolia and you don't know who Ricky Jay is. He's the narrator for one thing, but he's also a prolific magician and writer. Oh, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just shocked that you don't know who this person is. Oh my god, that guy. Oh no, I know his face. Did not realize that that is what he looked like. Holy shit. Yeah, no, he definitely has Ricky J energy. (laughs) Anyway, enough about our time in college. My dad's going to listen to this and be like, we paid for this. I know, we paid for this guy just to tell us that like the clouds in Will Cotton's paintings look like cum. Uh, anyway, speaking of gross old people, Bunny's back. <laughs> okay, no. I don't want to be a contrarian here, but Team Bunny? Yeah, we've long had this discussion, which is, I'm sorry, Charlotte doesn't deserve this apartment. Like, in what psychotic universe <laughs> does did Charlotte earn this apartment that's been in Bunny's family for however many years? When she says, Trey gave me that apartment, she's like, it's not his apartment to give because it isn't. <laughs> it isn't. It's in the family name. And what? You toughed it out for six months with a guy whose dick didn't work that much? Yeah, it's not like you have kids and you're raising those kids in this apartment or something. You just want this apartment as your bachelorette pad. And you know that Bunny never let Trey forget that she now lives in that apartment, their family apartment, with her divorce lawyer. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, that's genius. I didn't even think about that. Again, all things that could be referencing in just like that that would be delightful and do have like interesting narrative complications. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> fuck Charlotte. <laughs> In this episode, it's a low Charlotte episode. She's fucking a gross guy. We don't have Harry yet. Bunny's in the right. I hate to say this. Also, you know, yeah, you don't hustle a woman out of an apartment when she's wearing Chanel. <laughs> also, I love her keychain. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's very sinister when her hand comes in like that. It's like out of a horror movie or something, but... It's chic. It's very Charlotte to just have breakfast delivered. I imagine she placed this breakfast order the night before because that's who she thinks Bunny is. She's like, oh, that's the breakfast that I ordered. Yeah, she's like really on her shit. Charlotte also doesn't disclose quite like Miranda to this guy that she's divorced because the guy comes down and he goes, you're divorced? And she goes, I'm separated. So this is like about everyone lying about who they are. <laughs> Miranda's saying she doesn't have a kid. Charlotte's saying she's not married. Burger's saying he's single, even though he's not. Acting single. Yeah. But, and Carrie wrote a book. Well, and also <laughs> St Stanford is on one and he calls Carrie while she's signing all the books to make sure that he's on the list because he doesn't want to seem like a nobody now that I have somebody. And this is when Stanford learns that Anthony will be at the party and he's very excited to which he refers to Anthony as her little bitch boy is coming, which all I can think about is like, you guys are going to be married in 10 years. <laughs> yeah, but I'm so happy for Stanford in this moment because what is more satisfying than getting to parade around your hot boyfriend in front of your arch nemesis except for the fact that your arch nemesis doesn't care i think he cared he got a little flustered anyway no. we're getting ahead of ourselves so yes it's the day of carrie's book party samantha's a real one because she tries she's like honey i don't think you want me there and she's like what you you have to be there you're my publicist i gotta i gotta talk to a bunch of people which that is fair yeah but the way that Carrie behaves once she sees Samantha is I unfair. Mean, <laughs> also, we're like two episodes out from when Carrie shamed her for blowing the Worldwide Express guy. Oh, and then Carrie has the nerve to fire Samantha as her publicist. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this also proves that Samantha would definitely have shown up to Big's funeral no matter what. <laughs> for sure. But Carrie looks great. She's at her most flapperish. Yeah. She's wearing like a lacy Anna Molinari, I think, dress. Another corsage. We should have worn corsages to our book events. The next book. Yeah. That won't be happening. <laughs> Question for you. Do you think that someone from the New Yorker would be following a columnist at the New York Star? Because that's how they reveal Samantha. Because there's a, there's a guy who's like, yeah. I, I'm from the New Yorker. I've been following your career. For sure. For sure. I think so, because if we're going to compare this to Candace Bushnell, like everyone read her column. There you go. So Anthony and Marcus and Stanford all meet. And I, I, my question is, did Anthony need to meet Marcus twice to realize that he's from a back issue of Honcho? Because that also doesn't happen until next season. Yeah, maybe he couldn't really pinpoint where he knew him from. He was too focused on the, uh, the battered shrimp hors d'oeuvre 
I am confused about this reality where people that date for four months get houses in the Hamptons, but whatever. I assume that this is like a post 9-11 pre-financial crisis real estate market. I, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Or they knew that they were going to the Hamptons for the season finale and had the setup where Miranda and Carrie were staying. Yeah, for sure. I would have liked to see more cameos in this sequence, but we did get one. We got Isaac Mizrahi yes. as himself proclaiming that books are back. Books never went away, baby. <laughs> Actually, the first fashion book I ever I didn't buy it. I asked my p- grandparents for it for Christmas. Was Isaac Mizrahi's satirical comic book, The Adventures of Sandy the Supermodel? Oh, yeah. I think you've showed me those. Yeah, I've had it for years. I just unpacked it the other day. And uh, and yeah, so Isaac Mizrahi was my gateway drug into the world of overpriced coffee table books. Like Burger, he wrote a hilarious comic novel. <laughs> But like, where was Michael Musto or something? Yeah, we're a few years away or else it would have been like Tim Gunn. Just some like OG New York media people like that. Yeah, one thing that the series doesn't do very well that we've discussed is like, what what fame level is Carrie exactly? And this would have been a great moment to contextualize her. I think she was more famous than they really showed on the show, if that makes any sense. Like, I didn't realize her fame level until she went to... Smith Jared's play. Yeah, exactly. And all the photographers know her, yeah. So Miranda is nowhere to be found at this book party because she's making out with Walker. So inappropriate. Like, she's pushed against a wall, you know? His hands are, like, on the wall. Like, that's not appropriate behavior for a book party. No, I mean, Carrie is shooing Samantha away because of how she looks. I'd be shooing Miranda away. It's like, the editors of The New Yorker are here. You can't be here, Miranda. Yeah, that kind of thing only works in like a dark warehouse party or something. Or like you're outside. It's like, not like lights up, like Condé Nast's here. It's just, it's the wrong vibe. Well, she has to finally disclose that she had a child. And Walker asks the very reasonable question, which is, is Brady his? Because she fucked him around like when she was three months pregnant or four months pregnant. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. It's like some dude. Don't worry about it. And they go back to Miranda's place, which all I kept thinking was, does Walker not have a hotel room? Yeah. Certainly by end just like that, Miranda knows how to... How to get a hotel room on the on the fly. They didn't have hotel tonight back then, Lauren. I would say a low Manolo moment in the episode is Mommy's Coming. Mommy's Coming does not sound hot. A double entendre, I guess. I am siding with the guy in this situation. I don't think I could finish under those circumstances. No. And she's like, can I come? And then he just sort of like collapses against her shoulder. He's like, no, bitch. Like, it's upsetting to hear a baby screaming during sex. And you question like, is she a good mom? Is she doing this every night? Like, what's the vibe? I mean, Team Walker, honestly. And she never saw him again. And then Carrie's left at the party. Samantha's like, can I please go? And she's like, yes, leave. Get out of here with your beekeeper outfit. She does look very Thierry Mugler fab. Like, she doesn't look bad. No. I should hope that someone comes to my book party dressed like that. And in the era we live in now, Cardi B would show up to an event dressed like that. 
Yeah. Also, Berger did pop in at some point and just say congratulations, which was the correct thing to do. Another thing that made me like him. Yes, although there are hints of the burger we'll get in season six because he, in referencing his own book party, he says, my book party couldn't fit in the coat check of your book party. Right. So he's a bit insecure. Yeah. But Carrie says, Carrie gets the last bit of cake. And so she says, who needs a plus one? I can have my cake and eat it too. Get it, Chell? I, I got it. Get it. I got it. And then she also ate a hot dog. Get it? Because burger... Is this how- Sarah Jessica Parker packed on the pounds for Plaza Suite. <laughs> she just walked down to Gray's Papaya. Um, <laughs> no, but this episode, again, reinforced, like, Carrie truly cannot be alone, and it made me realize she's going to be insufferable in season two of In Just Like That. Like, once that all that grief lifts, she's going to need a man. Well, she has a man. That podcast producer dude. No, they're going to cast him aside. <laughs> no, he's going to be the main, the main, the main course. The main course? He's going to be the main course. To go back, there's a scene between Charlotte and Carrie after Samantha leaves where Carrie informs Charlotte that Berger stopped in and then he left and she's like, I did the right thing, right, by letting him go. And she's like, Charlotte's like, yeah, you know, there are some things people don't say out loud because they don't like the way it sounds like I'm divorced. And then Carrie goes, I'm lonely. And it's like, what do you mean? Like him saying I have a girlfriend? If he doesn't like to say he has a girlfriend, like, run. That's bad. Yeah. But yeah, I think this only strengthens my case that if Carrie doesn't have a boyfriend, she's going to be insufferable. So. But she's not alone. She's got her driver. She's not alone. She has a new girlfriend, apparently. (laughs) Only lasts for a episode. She treats her so well, though. She buys her a hot dog. The hot dog's free. (laughs) Oh, right, because she wrote a book. I love how she says she wrote a book, like, in the same tone, like, 50 times within a one-minute span. She wrote a book. She wrote a book. And then when she walks back into her car, she sees a playing card. Nice little callback. It's a joker. Yeah, I saw that. (laughs) I noticed that, too. Foreshadowing of Berger's future behavior. Yeah. And just like that, the episode ended. Yeah. How many Manolos would we give this episode? I'm giving it four Manolos. Four? Out of ten? Oh, shit. I thought it was (laughs) out of five. (laughs) I forgot our rating system. Wait, it's out of ten? Yeah, we've rated the Okay, how how many Manolos are you giving it? I'm just going to copy you. Let's give it nine Manolos. Uh Uh-oh. You're like, that's too many Manolos. (laughs) Just so your face shut down. I think... Eight Manolos? It's definitely an eight. I think it's an 8.5 Manolos. Okay, I think, so, again, we have the chewed Pete Manolo. Yeah, it's eight Manolos plus a half Manolo that is Pete chewing it up. The thing that this episode doesn't have going for it, I think actually is clothes, apart from the Carrie and Samantha's book party looks. It's kind of bleak. Season five is a bit of a fashion desert. Yeah. Anyway, once again, we never know how to end the, the pod. No, I think that was a good episode. I'm trying to think of like what is a bad... I think the next thing we do should be a bad episode. An objectively bad episode. So guys, DM us. Send us emails. Call the hotline of what you guys think are the worst. Yeah, what's the the worst worst episode? And no, the movies do not count. Although we will do them on the Patreon at some point. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, happy birthday, Lauren. Thank you. This is coming out on your birthday. So everyone send Lauren dick pics. 
for her birthday. Oh my God, like Carrie, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And uh, we'll be back next week. All right, bye guys. Bye. Bye.